Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Head of Physical Performance at Leicester Tigers, Alad Walters. Tune in to episode 339 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I haven't had many World Cup winners on. I've had a couple on, but Allard now gets added to that list after the success of the Springboks in the last Rugby World Cup, which Allard was a part of. So it is that experience that we frame this episode. So we have a little chat around the preparation for that World Cup, what happened during and what's happened after and why did he leave the spring box to go and work at Leicester Tigers and how was that experience really influenced his practice now and how things have changed from even before going to South Africa and work there with the um, with the spring box so a really really interesting episode coming up with Allard whether you're interested in rugby or not Alan thinks slightly differently and ex- explains why and how that's come around over the years. Alan actually appeared in the podcast a couple of years ago with Adam Sheehan and we have a little chat around how his thoughts have changed since then. So, like I say, if you're interested in rugby or not, this is a superb episode that I'm sure you'll enjoy and probably have a few laughs as well. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Perch. Perch enables velocity-based training, no strings attached. Engineered at MIT, Perch uses small and mobile cameras to monitor and manage weight room performance without detracting from it. By passively collecting speed and power data, delivering it in real time to athletes and storing it for post-workout analysis, Perch enhances workouts, reduces injuries and saves time. Perch works with every level of organisation, from the 2019 National Championship LSU football team to the NFL's New York Giants, military installations, high schools and to a number of growing sports performance facilities and even individual garage gyms. Perch is portable, easy to install and intuitive to use, making it ideal for every facility and every training goal. No more pre-workout setup, no more attachments to athletes and barbells, no more broken strings. Set Perch up once and optimise every rep. Reach out to Perch today and for exclusive deals and offers, tell them Rob sent you by going to perch.fit forward slash pacey. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kitman Labs. So Kitman Labs partners with leading sports teams to help them consistently achieve the highest levels of performance by increasing the impact of their data. So over 200 teams across the globe rely on Kitman Labs performance intelligence platform to quantify the cost of performance and injury and receive the right insights at the right time. Through unique outcome-driven analytics and the most advanced athlete management system, teams can align their organizations around a shared view of what it takes to drive performance and health and move at the speed of sport to adjust and continuously improve. If you want to know more about Kitman Labs, head over to www.win.kitmanlabs.com forward slash impact. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I Measure You. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. 
So iMeasure U have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident, which includes ultra-high G capabilities to quantify high-impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Alan Walters. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. This evening, I'm delighted to welcome, for a long overdue part two, Alan Walters. So welcome to the podcast again, mate. Thank you very much, Robert. Thank you very much for coming on. A lot's happened since last time we spoke. I know, I know. I'm actually quite nervous this time. I don't have Adam Sheehan next to me as well to control what I say and to make sense of everything. But um, yeah, it, it. what is it? Is it three years? So it's supposed to be last book? three years. Yeah, but yeah. that now, yeah. Been yeah, going so. on three years. A lot's happened. That was probably the last time I had a haircut as well, by the looks of me. <laughs> likewise, likewise. <laughs> Two beards. Another beard off like yeah. I had with uh, Bryce Kavanagh a few weeks ago. <laughs> but Alad, if anyone doesn't know who you are and didn't tune into part one with uh, with you and Adam, would you mind just giving us a bit of a background on yourself and maybe a bit of an update? Because I know I'm joking that not much has gone on the last three years, but it clearly has so uh, yeah a bit of an update from you if that's all right yeah of course um so i'm a welshman i know my accent doesn't really tell the story now it's a bit mixed but um i've managed to accumulate a fair few air miles of my career i suppose so having started out in 2005 with the scarlets moved on to taranaki new zealand uh brumbies in australia then back to munster where i spent about six years and that's where i met the infamous adam the 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 brains of the operation, Adam Sheehan. And then from there, I was lucky I, I met and worked alongside um, Rassi Rasmus and Jacques Nienaber, who then went back to South Africa to lead the the, the, the Springboks. And then, um, yeah, I was asked to go back with them at probably the best time, um, two years going into a World Cup. I was fortunate that that went well. And then from there, um, back to the UK. So in <coughs> in June of June of last year, Came back and now now working as the head of physical performance with Leicester Tigers. Nice mate. You're one of the very few that I've had on World Cup winners. I think Nick Nick Gill, um, Don Scott from women's football won it a couple of times. I think she's won it about four times. But um, yeah. So what what was the just going into the World Cup stuff? What was the expectation when you t- took the job two years out from a World Cup? I think the the immediate thing was to work in international rugby. That 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 was that was the main thing, you know. Those, those kind of roles don't come up too often, um, and because I already had a good working relationship with the guys, I, I felt that it would be a, a good, a really good move for myself and my wife anyway. So to to experience something completely different as well. So the challenge was right then they they weren't doing particularly well at the time. Um, there were some changes. It was a team in transition, a lot of players moving on, elder players, younger players coming through. And so it was just a great chance. You know, I, I don't know if I think South Africa was seventh in the world or something in the rankings at the time, but underperforming. You you knew there were qual- there was quality there and there was strength there. 
so yeah, the expectation was to go out and just try and do as well as we could, you know, but I had complete faith in the two coaches that they'd be able to turn things around and, and we'd be, we'd be there or thereabouts at least trying to contest, you know, in the latter stages of the, of the tournament. How, how important was it that you had worked with these two guys before? Yeah, massively important. They, they, they really shaped my philosophy. I suppose um, they looked and looked at things differently, did things in a different way. Um, and yeah, having a working relationship with someone, knowing what they expect of you and what you can expect of them, is um, it definitely makes life easier, doesn't it? What, what did they think? How did they think differently? to what you'd experienced before? What was it about them? Um, they they made me realise, and this might sound ridiculous now, but they made me realise that the game at the end of the week is the main thing. You know, Rassi had the motto of, with, with, with the box of, let the main thing be the main thing. And and it's so true, but it's easily overlooked, isn't it? If If you're not doing everything in the week, and every week, consistently driven towards the performance at the weekend well well you're missing you're missing the point of it aren't you you know when when something becomes more important than the game you're missing the whole purpose of of what you're doing and how you're supporting the program so that was actually one of the things but what what i really liked about them as well they brought the toughness they brought an expectation of what players should bring um what was non-negotiable and um yeah, just just a different way of training, and and something I'm sure we'll talk about again tonight. But more of an aggressive outlook on how much you can do and how much players can do. You know, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Darren Burgess, and I remember him saying years ago, "We don't know the potential of players. We don't know what they're capable of doing." And I remember him saying a story about going. I think it was with Port Adelaide at the time going out to Dubai on the first day doing something like ten thousand meters of high speed running, and that yeah. stuck with me. And I was like. Yeah, without being reckless, we can push. So that's probably the thing that that really kind of shaped me, and and I liked that. I liked it was different, you know. When you when you look back, based on that, based on making the main thing the main thing, is there any examples of your time or certain practices that you did that you thought at, at that point that I, I'd got overexcited with? the week and obviously your little insular bit that wasn't that wasn't adhering to that the main thing being the main thing because yeah. I, I guess that's something that a lot of people can relate to not only just in sport but in everything you got yeah. this goal but you get you get so engrossed in these little things along the way with losing losing sight of that main thing yeah yeah def- definitely I, I i remember vividly they they had only just arrived, I think, in 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 the summer. It was the first preseason, and going into the early stages of the season, having a massive blow up with the defence coach Jacques, you know, and then we became good friends after that because we both fought for our areas, but I fought poorly. Um, and what I mean by that is, I would have celebrated a training session if it had achieved the GPS metrics that were, you know, what we expected for that day. If the training session had gone to time. And it was a nice session. We'd almost babysat the players through a session and be like, brilliant. No one's injured. We've hit what we expected to hit and everything's on time. Brilliant session. Did I actually take any heed of how good and how well prepared we were for the weekend? You know, were the players confident in the preparation? 
with a coach's confidence preparation. No, I was, I was blinded to that because I thought, brilliant, it's done. You know, the acute chronic ratios all look beautiful. No one is at any kind of risk. We are good to go. Um, and, you know, it was then the realization of being like, oh, shit, no, you know, we, 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 we'll get thumped at the weekend. The, the, the numbers matter for nothing, you know, and, um, so, so I'll take you to the other extreme of things. When we, in the 2019 rugby championship, um, we played Australia on one Saturday, the following Saturday. So on the, on, we played Australia in Johannesburg on, on this, on the Saturday. Then the following Saturday, we were playing New Zealand in Wellington. So with the travel implications and everything, I went across with a group of 14 players early because you have to give yourself the best chance to prepare, to be even be in a position to beat New Zealand. Some of the players flew out on, um, it was on Monday. They Sorry, they flew on Sunday. They landed on Monday at two o'clock. Seven o'clock that evening, we had a proper training session. There was nothing around, these guys can't do anything. Um, we need to do hours of mobility. We need to get them into bed. We need to get them into the time zone. No, we need to get them ready for the game on Saturday because by doing all the right things, we're not going to be prepared to beat the All Blacks. So that's kind of the extremes that we went through. Was it reckless? Yeah, potentially. I had no idea what was going to happen. I was thinking, shit. Are we going to lose four or five guys here? But we didn't, you know, and, and, and that's the realization. It doesn't always have to be perfect, but what has to be there is the best preparation for the team to go and win at the weekend. I mean, you said that you were, you were a little bit nervous, but have, through your career, has that nervousness around that, and especially with this situation in South Africa, made you more comfortable with being nervous around them kind of situations of pushing players? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, the first week here at Leicester, we, we went hard and probably harder than I'd even kind of planned, you know. But what comes with that is you make a massive statement, don't you? And you also adapt accordingly. So if you feel like you have overshot it, well then, there's always tomorrow we can make a plan. If you lose guys, yeah, then it's been reckless and you've done it for your own ego. But... Going back to what Darren said a long time ago, you know, we, we don't know how far we can push guys. Um, so we need to find that out how far and how frequently can we do it, you know, safely. I'd like to get into a little bit of a chat around your philosophy, Alad, if that's all right. And that's, this is may form a part of it. Yeah. But when it comes to physical preparation, can you communicate and, and I suppose simplify how you think about it as, as a whole? Yeah, I, I suppose the question that I ask myself, okay, I'll, I'll go back first then. The philosophy broadly is being best prepared and least fatigued. So what, what I mean by that is what I've spoken about already. Are, are we as best prepared as we can be for this weekend and for every weekend? And... Because of the nature of the Premiership in England, and you throw Europe in on top of that, you know, fatigue has to become a factor. We we have to think about that. It's not a it's not a seven game tournament. So, how are we planning to be best prepared for this week and next? What are the implications of this week's training on next week? And 
realistically, how can we be the best prepared, at least fatigue? Does that mean, and it probably does often, what's the minimum amount of work that we can do to be best prepared? And I know I've said best prepared about 12 times there now. Anyway, so, <laughs> so you're going to have to edit, you're going to have to do your magic there. But that's, that, that's really it, you know. And when we talk, if we're taking unnecessary energy from the players, then we are doing them a complete disservice. And we might think that we're doing the right thing because we're developing a component of fitness or we're developing a physical characteristic. But what we're actually doing is detracting from their job for the weekend or what they're paid to do is to perform. And you're almost playing with the, with the futures of players and coaches at the same time. So that, that, that's really what I ask myself every week on a consistent basis. What are we doing? Are we getting best prepared here? And then the whole chat around transfer of, of training to playing and everything comes up. And, you know, that, that's the challenge. Are we doing the necessary stuff? Are we doing the stuff we have to do or are we doing the stuff that we need or need to do or what's nice to do, you know? So that's really if I'd, asked, if I'd have asked you that five, six years ago, how would that have differed? Would it have differed? Yeah, it, it probably would have. I would have probably gone on to you about we need a real strength foundation. We need, you know, we need to work on this. We need to work on that. It would have been all the stuff that I thought was the most important. And I'm not for a second saying that it's not important, but how how do you fit it in to the puzzle that is every week? You know, how do you fit it in to the puzzle of a young player making his first start? Uh, in in a Premiership match, you know, does his week have to be tailored slightly differently? You know, does what he does in the what he does in the gym that week? Are we adding to the stress of the week, or are we actually taking something away to give him the best chance to perform? So it's all those kind of questions. So yeah, I'd say five six years ago, I'd have probably come up with a completely different answer, and maybe less airy fairy than what I've just spoken about now. <laughs> Nice. So, what's it? So just going about it, going into your role at Leicester. What what does that look like, and how does that differ from South Africa? Obviously, a different environment, different country, international versus club. But from from a day to day perspective, how does it differ? And um, how does it differ to your Munster role as well? Ooh, well, the immediate thing for South Africa, I was a, I was a one man band, much like um, Gilly with New Zealand. You know, so I, I was the only SNC coach with with a box. So that meant that I had to prioritize and that there, there was, there was, I learned a lot there from seeing what's important, but also what can I give my energy towards every week? So I had to be really clear um, myself, not, not just in terms of the program, but really clear and saying, I only have so much energy in the week. What, where do I need to use that appropriately? Um, so that, that's, that's the first thing that's different um, in Leicester. It's brilliant, you know. We've we've got a we've got an excellent S and C department, medical department, sports science, nutrition. Um, so that's it's not a luxury, but what I'm saying is that the the challenge is for me now to lead that and lead it well and to oversee that, and that's that's take some getting used to. And and I'm I'm in I'm in my infancy of being able to do that, and I'm probably not doing it well enough currently, you know. It, but it's something that. We've, we've got the people, we've got the right people in. We just need to make sure that we get a cohesive unit or I'm, I'm leading a cohesive unit 
and we get into what I've what I spoke about earlier. So these thoughts can't just be in my head, you know, and, and that's that's my challenge really anyway, is to be able to convey that. And then at Munster, um at Munster I, I was leading the SNC department only. So that was that was different. There was a there was a medical lead, and then and then me as a as the, as the head of uh, well, strength and conditioning, realistically anyway. So there was a s- smaller department to look after there. It's interesting because I'm sure there'll be loads of coaches out there listening. Hopefully, hopefully, loads of coaches out there listening. But there'll be plenty who who are in the same position. Maybe not going on to win a World Cup, but uh, one man bands. And trying to do all the things that you've just explained, try to prioritize, try to tick the boxes, that the main boxes, because there's only, you know, so many hours in a day, so many days in a week. How, what was your process to go through that? Okay, where do I spend my time? What, um, what's going to get my mental energy, physical energy? Where's that going today? Um, I had I'd, I'd plenty of time to plan it. I, 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 you know, and, 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 you know, you plan for the best case scenario, don't you? But if, if I go directly to the seven weeks in, in Japan during the World Cup, um, the, the last three weeks of the quarterfinal, semi and the, and the final, I probably gave very little energy in, in the gym. I was almost a spectator in the gym, just the guy walking around, just talking shit, you know, and just, just trying to create a bit of a, try, trying to create a bit of an energy there without actually drilling and coaching hard. I, I, I didn't really coach much there. What I coached was the recovery in the last three weeks. So I'd even get out of the gym a little bit early to make sure that everything's done and set up for the recovery facilities, which we made sure was on the way out, you know, so the guys had to walk past the recovery facilities. And that's where I spent my time. I more or less spent time planning the recovery, you know, the luxury in Japan is you have these onsens, you know, we had ice baths set up. We, we, we didn't have lasers and everything like that. You know, we didn't have um, sauna suits and, and stuff, but we made the best of everything and we used what was what we had at our disposal and really working with the players to find the best solution for them to make sure that they were recovering from the physical demands, but they were conditioned to that at that stage. Um, recovering from a mental demands because, as you can imagine, uh, towards the latter stages, you're involved in media more, the pressure of selection gets higher, the pre- pressure of making errors gets higher. So really tailoring and spending more time with those guys. So th- th- that's where the energy went to, if that if that makes sense. So going back to your original question, the, the, the process, yeah, it was, it was roughly at the start of 2019, it was all the energy getting, getting guys fit, getting guys trying to get them tailored to play our best game, but also to negate the opposition, to getting, getting them prepared for that. And then it just kind of, yeah, it fluctuated then what I thought was important in an off week, what I thought was important in the game week. And that, that I suppose, is part of the feel, isn't it? That's the artistry of, of, of what we do, you know? So, so I had a plan and, yeah, stuck to it relatively well, I think. Let's dive into the recovery piece first, and then we'll come back to the conditioning. So probably in in reverse from what, what we spoke about. But yeah, that recovery bit. What again? Pretty compared to the bigger nations, more, more well resourced nations. I'm, I'm just assuming there. Um, what were your go tos when it came to recovery? And secondly, 
on, a, on another point, what we'd spoke up beforehand, which was a, an interesting one and a simple thing that you introduced throughout, um, was it the tournament about around alcohol or before the tournament? Would you mind just giving us an insight into that as well? Yeah, so, so if I start with the alcohol, as we always should, um, <laughs> I, I, I noticed in 2018, and this is not um, me talking ill of South Africans for a second, it's just part of the culture, it's the sociable side of, of, of how they do things, but I was actually surprised with, you know, the, the team dinner or on the, on the, on the Saturday after the game, you know, you'd, you'd have a few beers, which is, which I think is completely the right thing to do, you know, unless it's a short turnaround. But Sunday there might be a couple. Monday night there might be a couple. You know, and 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 there'd be a little bit of alcohol throughout the week. So I worked closely with uh, Jacques, who's now the head coach there. And th- this was early on in our planning. And I said, Jacques, we need to do something about the alcohol. Not to say that there's a drinking culture, but let's map it out better for the guys. So we actually came up with a calendar and looking at the schedule. And there were. Um, so we highlighted the opportunities for the guys to drink. But with that, we went and had three levels of drinking. Um, so level one was, was no drinking. That was dry. You, you, you're dry. N- not, even, not even a touch of it. Uh, level two was sociable drinking. And that was explained as the kind of drinking you do with your missus, you know, or when you're at home, uh, you have a glass of wine or whatever it is. And le- level three, excuse me, was shit the bed. And... That was a time where you go, wow, this is your this is your chance now. So if you don't use this chance, fair enough. But the what what happened with that is the the senior players drove it, and they would ask right then, what what, what level is it now? What level are we working at? You know? <laughs> and but what what that made was, you know, if if you have certain nights out or certain nights where you get the level three. The camaraderie, the, the togetherness of the group, because everyone wanted to make the most of it, you actually had everyone out at the same time. And it was brilliant, you know. So it wasn't like when something happens every weekend, it's, ah, take it or leave it. You know, there's always next weekend. When there were certain times throughout highlighting the calendar, I was like, right, then, now is the time to do it. And we do it properly. And it was brilliant, you know. But so we, we knew when, when, when it came to it. And it... Uh, Obviously, when when things like this are at stake, but we had a six day turnaround going into the final. You know, we, we played the semi final on the Sunday, final on the Saturday, and you know, there's drinks available in the change room afterwards with the sponsor. You know, leaving whatever in there. I'd say maybe three guys had one beer each, and and that was it. They, they, so I think that was a successful element of how how we recovered. Was okay. Now it's important. Now it's worthwhile that we don't. We don't go down that route. Um, obviously, afterwards, after the final, jeepers, that was that level was a, seven. That was a fortnight of level twenty-four. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. So, but but that was that was that was part of it, you know. And then the recovery plan itself, having discussions with players um, at the start when we got together in um, in June, I think it was two thousand nineteen. Really, what works for you? What works best for you? Okay, so if you need this. Let me source it for you. And there was nothing outrageous, you know. And I'd say we're probably one of the least fancy in terms of recovery, but it was just basic stuff. Scheduling sleep, you know, in, in, into the program, into the schedule. So whatever possible, 
after lunch, there is an opportunity for you to go and have a nap. If you don't have a nap, no problem. It doesn't matter. But there's an opportunity there if you want it, particularly around camp times, you know. Um, always offered ice, always, because some guys, and I, and I know there's conflicting evidence around ice and the effect it might have on strength, but if guys feel better from getting into the ice or if they feel like they're doing something to promote their recovery by getting in the ice, I would rather they do it and not get absolutely everything out of the strength program, you know. So it was basic nutrition. We really, really went hard on nutrition. Um, good, really good nutrition around training. Everything always available. Um, so really just hammered the basics. And, and, and that was probably the main thing. And, and, and like I mentioned, we had the, you know, having those onsens, the hot onsens in Japan everywhere, they, they, they were brilliant. You know, you, you can't take your phone in there. And half the time, it's something to make sure that you get a, you get to relax. And if you can't take your phone, you're typically going to sit there for half an hour, chat with your mate and relax, aren't you? And that's, that, that you know, that's, that's great recovery, isn't it? Just to explain that for us. I've not been in Japan, so I don't know what that is. Give us a bit of an insight. It's it's brilliant. So there's men and men's and women's onsen. So you you go in. Uh, onsen is it onsen? I think it's onsen. Jeez, I, I might onsen. be butchering it now with my West Indian language, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's like hot springs. Um, but they're really hot. Now you, you've got to deal with a lot of nakedness, and I have to say, the old Japanese boys they're not then 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 you know they're not shy as well. So <laughs> there was a lot of lot of nakedness going around there, but. Um, yeah, it, it's just hot springs, but it was, um, there'd, there'd be in some of the better ones, you'd have the cold baths and the hot baths and everything, but it it turned into more of a social thing as well, where guys would find good onsens, you know, they almost become became onsen snobs. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. If, if a player feels better and better, better recovered from using heat or better recovered from using ice cold water well then choose your weapon and go with it because if you feel good from using it it's it's good for me anyway So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Allard. Hope you're enjoying part one. But just before we do get into part two, I just wanted to remind you that I have released the Pace Performance British Football Performance Staff Survey last week, which had 138 respondents from various leagues within England, uh, Scotland and Wales. And we asked the... We asked the um, people that took the survey about their salary, about their experience, how they got their job. So there's tons of insights in there for people who want to work in football or are just interested in the demographics of those that do. So you can head over to strengthofscience.com and you can get the free download of the report, which is in association with Satanta College. And... Um, soak up all those insights from what's going on inside of British football. So without further ado, over to part two with Allard Walters. But just before we do dive into part two, I want to say a big thanks to Hawking Dynamics for sponsoring this episode today. So Hawking Dynamics offer the world's first wireless force plate testing system. 
So the Harking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So we're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. And also sponsoring this episode today is Black Box Fitness. So Black Box Fitness are a sports performance equipment manufacturer based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. So if you are looking for a full gym fit out, if you're lucky enough to be looking for a full gym fit out, or just want to add additional pieces to what you've already got, whether that be barbells, dumbbells, plates, maybe a new rack, some flooring, etc., etc., have a little look at what Black Box Fitness can offer. So you can head to their website, which is blkboxfitness.com, or for a more informal view of what they do, head over to their Instagram because they've got some really cool images of some of the recent projects that they've run in Australia, in the UK, in Europe, etc. So head over to their Instagram, which is at blkboxfitness, and they're the same on Twitter. It, it sounds like the the couple of stories that you've told, it was it was so important to have that camaraderie, to have that togetherness. And I mean, it, it almost sounds cliche because those that are successful seem to be telling these sim- very similar stories, but versus the maybe other environments that you've been in, obviously don't have to mention any names, but how important was it looking back and thinking we were successful, like the camaraderie was superb in South Africa, with the, with the guys versus maybe others where it could have been, we could have been so successful, but that was just missing because there was X or there was Y. So just to sum that up that question, how important was it that camaraderie and togetherness of the, of the, of the guys? Massively important. Um, we, we, we struck a good balance, but before then, you know, Rassi is the head coach. He actually stated very, very early on to the players that we were going to be together for 19 weeks and more or less 19 weeks straight. Now, from that, we had a three-week camp leading into the rugby championship, which means you're traveling to New Zealand, then traveling. We actually stayed in New Zealand, then went over to Argentina and then back. Two weeks later, we're flying out to Japan because we wanted to go out there early. Um, So the camaraderie was going to be huge. And what he said was, this isn't a sacrifice. You know, if, if you think this is a sacrifice... To, to be away from home for 19 weeks with the potential of winning a World Cup, then you've got your, you, you got everything wrong because that's not really a sacrifice. Um, but if, you, if you're not keen on it, just tell me now and we won't consider you. So that we almost had that kind of the, the verbal contract. There was a bond there immediately. And then with 19 weeks together, you have to find ways for guys to, to get along. And fortunately, you know, we had a training week where one day during the week, so typically on a Thursday, the, the boys would be off. And if they, their families had come out to Japan and, and everything brilliant, they were able to relax with them. They were able to get away from rugby. And recovery was never directed on the day off. It was just a suggestion of, please remember these things for tomorrow. You know, And, and, and that was it. I, I, 
I wasn't going to go and, and until the last week um, or the last, sorry, uh, two, three weeks, I wasn't going to go and stand there and make sure the boys were doing whatever they needed to do in the, in the, in the pool for their pool recovery. If they didn't think it's important enough you know, to do it at, a, at that stage of a, of a tournament, then I haven't educated them well enough in, you know, in, in, in those preceding weeks. But so we found ways where let the boys be, let them be completely to enjoy their families or their mates or their teammates or whatever. But with that, you know, I think the guys just got tight, you know, really tight as, as time went along because it was a good, it was a good group of humans. You know, they were, they were really good players there. There wasn't one player and, you know, there's always one, isn't there? Or there's always <laughs> one or two. There wasn't a player that you'd be like, oh, if I get stuck with him for 10 minutes, you know, it, it's going to do my head in. There wasn't one of those. So uh, it, was, it was good. It was, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a nice group. So was, was there any other challenges that came up from your time at South Africa that you overcame to obviously end in how it ended with winning the World Cup? Um, not sure about challenges. Um, no, they're a really compliant group of people. You know, they're, 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 they're great humans, the South Africans, where you didn't necessarily have to educate on why we were doing certain things in training. It, it was much more important to get to know what they enjoy doing and what they really, really didn't like doing. So maybe one of the challenges was around the strength programming. You had some guys who really, really valued it. You'd have the cohort of players who'd want to do bench squat chin every single week. So that's what they got. But then you had the challenge of the some of the older players. Some of them had been playing in Europe, playing in France. They hated the gym. So then it was a, come on, let's get one session done a week. Let's go after what you have to do, what your real priority is. And that's where... the. I suppose it's a challenge of becoming creative and, and maybe using some of the Bosch type exercises with those guys, not because they're the right exercises. They, I think they are to an extent, but that guy just doesn't want to have a bar on his back. And, you know, it goes back then to the main thing, you know, so if, if, if you're taking energy away from him by forcing him to squat, well then you're going to lose him in other areas. So that was probably the challenge to get to know the players who wanted, who needed what, who wanted what, and then how do you best serve it to make sure that it's still in line with the, with with the program? If that makes sense. Absolutely. How, how difficult is that? When I mean, you know, and, and I said you've got the guys who are dead keen, bench, chin, squat, but then looking over and seeing someone else maybe not doing it, and I suppose that's got to be a special group for them players in the first group to not question what's going on with everyone else. Like I'm pulling my weight here. I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Like he's not doing this. Or, you know, I can imagine in the wrong type of environment, finger pointing starts, starts there. Oh, completely, completely. And and, and I'm not saying for a second you could do that in, in many environments, but there, when, when I'd sit down with that player on a, on a Sunday evening or when we've arrived or if it's on a flight and just go, let's just go through your program. Are you happy? Are you happy with this? Are you happy? Are you good with that? Or do you want to change that? Or would you prefer this? They, they all have their say in their program. You've got them engaged in what they need to do. So they don't really give a shit about what the other guy is doing. And, and part of it as well, you know, you, you had some players, and I won't mention them, but you go, 
geez, you know, some of the boys go, God, you did well to get him to do that now, didn't you? <laughs> or, you know, we, we, we got to the point where if there were optional strength sessions and he had guys turning up, they'd be like, geez, I can't believe he turned up, you know? So there's a bit of peer pressure about it as well, but I wouldn't really stress stress too much about that. It was just making sure that does the guy who wants to lift, does he enjoy his session? Does he feel like he's getting what he needs? And does it, like I said, is it in line with the objectives? Yes, well then, where, where's the problem? And if it means, if that happened, and you go, hey, just look after yourself kind of thing, don't worry about him, you know, that's, that's it then, yeah. That was an environment, clearly a, a, an incredible environment and incredible players that went on to do what they did. But in the because there are plenty of coaches out there who are not in that kind of environment and are thinking, oh, am I too, is everything too structured in my sessions? Am I too harsh on these guys? Maybe they don't like X, Y, or Z, but I'm getting them to do it because I think it's the right thing to do. Are there other environments that you've worked in maybe now where you have to be a little bit tighter because then players aren't as good or aren't as self-motivated as the guys that you worked with in South Africa? Yeah, totally. Um, I hope it doesn't come across as um, that, that, that I'm not consistent. In, in, in no, this. no, no, not at all. What, what, um, what's really important is you appreciate the group of players you've got. And in South Africans, you've got massive humans, massively <laughs> strong humans that might not necessarily be gym strong, but some of the guys, you know, you'd have a backline player who's 110 kilos who grew up on a farm. So if it came to a wrestle between him and a guy who could bench 180, there's probably the guy who's been on the farm who's going to win that. So it, it's appreciating that. Now, when, when you've got that kind of size and innate power in, in humans, you know, fitness was going to be the thing that there was no question. When they didn't want to do that, there was no choice. That was that was the area that we had to. That 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 was the gap. That that was the gap for 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 that for that team for that group. So that's where we went unbelievably hard. Um, but yeah. So when it came to strength, now you have to appreciate new environments. So whatever environment you go in, what's the biggest gap? And that's probably the what what I addressed immediately. Or had to lean on people to guide me on, okay, where are we lacking at Leicester Tigers? What do we need to address first? What's the biggest impact on performance going to be? So what do we what do we have to prioritise? So, yeah, I, I, th I think that would be the, the, the way that I'd, I'd look at that. And it was literally just an order of priorities. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's dive into the conditionality, if that's all right. Again, seeing that as, that as the biggest gap for these guys, how did you plug that gap and what was the obviously the end goal was the world cup and to, to win so kind of working back from there what were the stages that you went through to get them prepared to be able to do that um so 2018 was was brilliant to give information on what the demands of international rugby was for south africa um as, as as many of your guests have you know spoken about training for the demands of the game, yeah, we we have to address what are the worst case scenarios. We have to address what the peak game demands are, everything like that, and 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 that has to form part of the planning. However, we have to also address number one, what are our main weapons as the Springboks at the time? So if set piece, if the mall and our defence were going to be weapons for us in the rugby championship and the World Cup. 
how do we make sure that they remain our weapons under fatigue? So we had to become unbelievably fit to make sure that we don't drop off in those areas. So that formed a lot of how we trained. So, for example, in terms of um, our defense, you know, we, there was a real aggressive defense line. So what did that mean? It meant that the big boys had to get off the ground quickly. Then we had to get into space. We had to get the width unbelievably quickly. So our lateral ability was, was imperative. Then we had to get off the line unbelievably hard as well. So how we accelerated and how we could do that in a repeated manner was massively important. So that's what we trained towards. Then the second one was, if we're going to train the demands of the game, you have to think about what the demands of the opposition are as well. Um, so it would be negligent to train only for the strengths of South Africa. Similarly here, we can't train for just the strengths of what we want and our style of play at Leicester Tigers. We have to train to be able to combat the best teams in the Premiership. So if we're going to, going to go up now against Exeter at the weekend, what do we need that's going to mean that we can get into a position to beat Exeter? You know, and if that doesn't happen now, well, we have to be there next season. We have to be there the following season. You know, so, so that's really the goal. And you go, so it's not just you. You have to be able to train. So it was. we were mindful of if we are going to beat uh, New Zealand or if we're going to beat England or Wales, because that's who we'd anticipate would be in the latter stages of the, of the tournament, what do we need to be able to do? You know, So that has to form how you plan your training. Um, yeah, so it's not just about you. Let's just dive into two of them things that you mentioned there. So acceleration, get off the line quick, and getting the big guys off the floor. Is there any examples that you can give how you developed sessions around them aspects? Because they were clearly key because you've just mentioned them. And I, by the way, I'm no rugby expert, so 100% not. But you've mentioned them too, so they're clearly important. Is there anything that you, any examples you can give us that shows how you went about that? Yeah, well, I suppose the the example for for the, for the second part for defence and our line speed came down to you know the importance of training the game in your training week. You know, rather than getting good at drills, can you actually stress the players in in and around? And you know, you, you you've had guys, you've had experts like Eddie Eddie speak on 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 your podcast before. How can we mimic the stresses of the game in in training and overload that? So we're very, very lucky. Like I said, he's probably one of the best coaches I've come across. Uh, Jacques Nienaber, the defence coach, who's now the head coach. In every training session, he demands you know line speed. So no drill or no aspect of training would would take place without that being stressed, because that is probably one of the most important aspects. So that was done all the time. You know, so you you get that, um, but at if we trained three times a week, um, there'd always be elements of acceleration mechanics or stressing a form of acceleration or evasion agility at the start of every session, you know, because that is something they just had to get good at. You know, when I, when I spoke about the lateral ability, you have to keep on feeding that in because going back to what I said right at the start, if it's not actually going to impact performance well don't bother with it but we knew that that was so it had to we had to have a flavor of it a flavor that was consistent through the week and then getting guys off the floor literally that it's whatever you do 
that gets the players to land on the ground and get back on their feet quickly. Now, if that's done with a weight, if it's unweighted, if it's with the player resistance, if it's, you know, whatever it is, if it's important, just find ways to do it. So it, it, there was nothing sexy to, to, to it, Rob. There were no great drills. It was literally right then, let's do something. And it's something as simple. I think I pinched this from John Pryor. I call it the deck square, you know, where it's just a four by four square. And every time you get to a line, uh, every time you get to a cone, it's just a, a down up. Then you work laterally, down up, back. You know, you do that ten seconds on, ten seconds off, ten times. It's brutal, you know, especially if you're 130 kilos. So it doesn't have to be pretty, but it has to be effective. And the player has to realize why it's important. You know, so I think we South Africa saw in the final, you know, that the player's ability when you're desperate in defense you have to get off the ground. And if you don't, you're exposing your teammates. So you, we needed 14, 15 guys on their feet, you know, for, for the majority of the time when we, when we were defending. How important was data in, in all this, in, in guiding what you were doing? Because you were the one-man band. Did you have the luxury of GPS yeah. to, to guide this? Okay. Yeah. So, so you, were, you were doing that as well? Yes, yeah. But it, <laughs> okay. but it was great. Um, yeah. You know, I... What GPS did, what data did uh, to guide us was from 2018 to give us what the worst case scenarios, the peak game demands were. So that informed our conditioning work. If we did any exclusive conditioning work for the guys, well, if they couldn't do what the peak game demands were by running a straight line, there's no way they're going to do it when there's the interference of actually playing a game. So that, that formed some of our, some of our work at the start. And also, you know, when we were in camp, and, I, and I'm sure I'll have people argue this point, but I was able to, you know, it, 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 was, it wasn't too complex even for me, but work out what the biggest week was for us in 2018. So what was the biggest test week? And that what I mean by that was what was the biggest in terms of volume and intensity across a training and a game for every player or, and then positional groups. So that became our 100% for 2019. So we had three camp weeks where we had to live above 100%. Um, I didn't really believe that we needed to exceed it much more than that. So we got to probably about 115% on average for every player. We got there safely. And I just thought, well, if, if you can tolerate what's just above what you're going to do in your very, very hardest test week, you should be okay because we didn't want to lose the physicality as well. We didn't want to lose size. So we didn't want 130, 140% weeks, you know, to be unbelievably running fit, but to be 10% lighter for each player, if that makes sense. Now, the only time I did shit myself, though, was when I was talking to the <laughs> Japan... Uh, Not Simon level three. Jones. Oh, no, this was awful. Um, we had a friendly with Japan just before the World Cup started. And I asked him, well, what, what kind of volumes would you do in a camp week? And I hope, he did, I hope he's not listening to this now, so I'm not sharing. No, no, he's gone to the Highlanders now, so it's all right. <laughs> he said they were covering, some of the positions were covering between 40 and 50 kilometers in a week. And I shat myself. And I thought, wow, we haven't done anything like that. But for our game, it was the right thing that we didn't even get anywhere close to that, you know. But we just got them conditioned to do what they needed to do to be able to play our style and negate the opposition. Did you share that amongst the staff? 
when yeah. you'd got the info, did you? Okay. Afterwards. They should, did they? Uh, yeah, afterwards. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, yeah, do it at the time and everyone panics. Exactly. But, you know, it, GPS though with us and the, and the way we worked as a coaching group, it was literally, I, I never really shared anything with the players. It was just their job was to train as hard as they could. Our job was to hold them back if, if needed. And... Um, so I shared very, very little. Only when we got to Japan and the heat and the humidity was such a factor that I wanted to highlight that we were still achieving exactly the same intensity as what we were back in South Africa. But the coaches just wanted to know, was it was it appropriate or was it not? Do we need to adapt tomorrow or don't we? And that was <laughs> simply it. And I know different coaches and there'll be challenges for different S&C coaches, sports scientists, because some coaches will want everything. But for that group, they just wanted to know, are we on track or are we not? And what do we need to do to change it? So from that point of view, yeah, it was, it was great. It was, a, it was a real simple, again, basic way of doing things, which I love. Mm-hmm. One last thing I want to touch on, I think it's become quite a sexy thing to, to discuss, um, which is why I'll, I'll bring it in here, of course. And that's, res- that's wrestling. It's become quite a thing to see, on, especially on social media, and um, to talk about it and things. I mean, what what part what part did that play in the conditioning of your guys or does it now and and back then uh back then no uh we did we did very little if no wrestling now some of the warm-ups might have started you know for a physical physical session we might have done an element of wrestling but that was literally just a preparation for the session um and right now no we do we do contact work but specific to areas of you know tackle entry breakdown um so not you know not the typical wrestling that um that some some are doing it it, it just doesn't fit right now for us uh, we had no pre-season as well this year like everyone else so i don't think it's something that we actually need to do because the level of contact the players get on a weekly basis is that high I don't think we've got time to do it. Now, maybe in pre-season, we might explore it uh, next summer. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll definitely get on to someone like Ollie Richardson, you know, because he's, he's, he's a bit of a guru in that area, isn't he? And, um, you know, that's something I, I wouldn't be good at. So maybe that's why we're not doing it as well, you know. But um, I think what we're doing in terms of contact preparation is appropriate right now. Mm-hmm. So would that be just because of the, the like you say, the pre-season situation, or would it be very much a style of play? Again, plugging the gaps that you've identified to prioritise your time. Um, yeah, potentially. But also, you know, uh, laws have changed, interpretations have changed in some aspects of, of the contact area. So with that, the priority is for the players to understand that better. So to put them in scenarios regularly. So that's why I don't think we've got time we don't have the luxury of time to do wrestling right now, but if if we encountered players who were poor or very, very poor in certain aspects of, you know, contact and it could be supported by doing aspects of wrestling, then we'll definitely investigate that. And I, I think then, then it makes complete sense to try and include something. Cool. Well, I'm going to finish on one thing because this, this fascinates me and it's something that I spoke to with with Bryce about and it's something that I spoke to Dave Slemon about who you know you know really well 
And it's this influence of, of having various influences from working in various different parts of the world, uh, very different cultures with different people. And I think it's something that I, I won't apologize for to kind of bringing up when I have someone like yourself on who's got them, that multitude of experiences. How important do you think that is for a practitioner, not only in rugby, but in various, you know, any sport to have them various influences where you are the one man band, you are in a team, you are leading a group, all them kind of things to to create this rounded practitioner how important do you do you think that is and how important do you think that's been for you as an individual yeah i i think that's been massively important for me um i've 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 been very very fortunate you know um when when i started out with the scarlets back in 2005 you know mac bennett was was my line manager with the welsh rugby union at the time so he was unbelievably good from the strength power speed you know side of things and then Wayne Proctor, who works for World Rugby, he was with Namibia in the World Cup, a former player, former international. He was the Scarlet head SNC, and he was a real, you know, fitness endurance, you know, um, guy. So I was able to learn from the two ends of the spectrum immediately there. Then I end up going out to New Zealand, to Australia, working with Dean Benton, you know, and 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 Dean runs a program, and I I was way out of my depth there. You know, there were conversations I had with Dean. I don't mind saying it now. I would have, uh, I would have been too nervous to say it to his face at the time. But he was talking to me, and I was thinking, I have no idea what you're saying to me, Dean. But it sounds fucking good. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry. It sounds, it sounds really good. Um, and then on the way back from Australia, you know, um, meeting guys like Adam Beard, um, you know, Franz Bosch was in with Wales at the time. Um, and then guys in Ireland, Jason Cowman, you know, Nick Winkleman's obviously there. The guys who were at Munster at the time, like Bryce was there when I started. Um, guys like Aidan O'Connell, PJ Wilson, Adam Sheehan. You've got this wealth of knowledge around you. And, and it's just about trying to extract not just what you want to hear, but what is better. And, um, and then obviously going out to South Africa and that's one of the massive benefits of being in an international role is on match day you get to meet guys like Stuart Ewell who had come across you know at Glasgow Tom Tomblesson those kind of guys John Clark with England but then also traveling around in South Africa you get to meet the SNC coaches at every franchise and everyone's got something you know there's never a bad day to get something and if it's just one thing or if it's 10 things it's going to influence how you do things again. And it might just be how they, the manner of the coaching. You go, wow, how did he get that group engaged so quickly? You know, so yeah, very, very long-winded answer. But I, I, I think it's essential, you know, and, and I touched on it briefly, but sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, and I asked someone like Dave Slemon for, for advice on this as well. Who do I go and pick the brains of? Someone who's completely different from me because I know I'd be guilty of wanting to go and talk to someone who has a similar philosophy, but it's really uncomfortable to go and talk to someone who you don't disagree with, be like, I've no idea why he does this. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, very, very long-winded way of saying, yeah, and I, I, I think it's definitely shaped me. And, and what excites me is I'm still meeting guys, you know, there's guys at Leicester, you know, you've got guys like Matt Parr, James Nolan, you know, you've got James Whitfield, all these boys, 
who bring something completely different again. And it's a different way that I did things at South Africa, but I'm, I'm appreciating the different ways, you know. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's brilliant. I, I, I think it's massively important. Amazing. That was long. Well, thank you it? very much. <laughs> No, no, that's great. It's it's something that I'm I'm really passionate about sharing. I think, like I said it, during the question, it's it's just when I have someone like you on, it's it's great to, I suppose, feed my own bias to think that this is the is the is the, you know, it's great to have all these different experiences. I think it's easy to get, it's easy to pigeonhole yourself or stay in a, a comfortable environment for too long, um, when getting to different countries. And I, you know, I wish I'd done it earlier on and, and go work abroad and these kind of things. And yeah, I think it's super, super valuable. So good answer. Good answer. Um, anyone that wants to pick your brain, Alad, and um, have a little chat about anything we've spoke about, where's the best place for people to contact you? Um, well, I have to say I'm, I'm pretty poor on social media. Um, I, I, but but, but I'll, 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 I'll check Twitter. Um, so I'm not even sure. I think I'm just Alad Walters at, at Twitter. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I only really take photos of sheep and wildlife <laughs> and this random, random crap around the area. So I'm not too, I, I, I don't, I don't post anything about SNC or anything like that. But if anyone does want to get in touch, I'm also on, on LinkedIn as well anyway. So, um, again, I, I don't know what my names are on, on, on those things, but, uh, it's sorry. fine, mate. Yeah. I can I can link to them. So you you're the official at Alad Walters. You got in there first. Got in there first. They were the gutted. Original. The other three they're <laughs> gutted. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you very much for coming on, mate. It's it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you once again. And um, yeah, really appreciate it. But we'll we'll definitely keep in touch and yeah. uh, and good luck at, uh, at Leicester this season. But ah. we'll we'll speak in, we'll speak soon. Thanks for tuning in to episode 339 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Absolute honour to get Allard on for this episode today, and I really do thank him for his time. Also, big thanks to I Measure You, Hawking Dynamics, Black Box Fitness, Kitman Labs, and Perch for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run its current form without these guys, so I really, really do appreciate their support. Like I said in the middle of this episode, the Pacey Performance British Football Performance Staff Survey is available to download for free, which gives you an insight into the salaries and the demographics of those working in British football today. This is in association with Satanta College, so I really appreciate their support as well for supporting the survey. So thank you for tuning in, and I'll chat to you next week.